It's the New Mercury Podcast, and here's your host, Kyle A. Lohmeyer. And welcome back to the New Mercury Podcast. I am, as always, your host, Kyle A. Lohmeyer. So those of you who have been listening, both of you, have heard me banging on and on about how lousy government is, how it's inherently evil and cannot be fixed because it's not actually broken. It's supposed to be doing the horrible stuff to us that it does. And in my hopeful moments, and I really suspect anyone who endeavors to launch a blog or a podcast or both hopes to have readers or listeners who are actually moved to some or any degree by what they write or say. And in those moments, I like to think that this podcast might help serve to some listeners as a bit of a bridge from the world that they've been shown and told to accept to the real world, or at least the more real world that I and those many who've gone before me see. And so I thought it might be helpful this week if I explain why I do go on and on and on about how rotten the government is. So, I am opposed to the existence of the state and government on a myriad of philosophical grounds that I'm sure I'll end up expounding upon in greater detail in later episodes, just as I have already touched upon many aspects of that philosophy in previous ones. But on a more pragmatic level, I oppose government on the most simple level just because it's the biggest problem any one of us has. Period. And today I'm going to try to convince you of the truth of that assertion. Alright, so to review, any government is just an armed gang with a monopoly on the legal initiation of violence. That monopoly is what makes government unique among all other human institutions. Violence then comes to define government, and since threat of violence is at the very heart of every single law government enacts, no matter how benign or helpful or friendly sounding it may seem, Seatbelt laws are ostensibly for our own good, right? They're to keep us from putting our skulls through the windshields of our vehicles in events where the car stops abruptly, but the unsecured meat bags therein don't. But if you get a ticket for not wearing your seatbelt and you ignore it and don't pay it for long enough, a bench warrant will be issued. And then if a cop pulls you over and you resist, he'll shoot you. Or at best, you'll be put in a cage until you can pay it all off. So for whose safety is it that seatbelt laws exist, really? are sometimes enforced by cops on motorcycles, and we're just not supposed to notice that this is all very silly. In reality, all traffic laws are just meant to generate revenue for the state and have very little, if anything, to do with public safety. Even drunk driving laws. I mean, if a person causes damage to another's person or property with their vehicle, does it matter if they were drunk or texting or thumbing down Nickelback on Pandora? Or what if they're just a typical Central Ohioan who isn't very good at skillfully or conscientiously operating their vehicle in general? It doesn't really make a difference. If your car is wrecked and your leg is broken, does it matter which of those factors contributed to the crash? I mean, you get in a wreck, I mean, oh man, oh, what happened? Oh, sorry dude, Nickelback came on my Pandora mix for some reason, I had to thumb it down, I didn't see you there. Oh, it's all good then, bro, Nickelback sucks, hell yeah, you gotta thumb that down. I mean, said nobody ever. And why, oh why, can anyone tell me why the government gets to help itself to such a huge payday because a person caused damage to another person's property, or their person, with their vehicle while having more than some arbitrarily decided upon limit of alcohol in their bloodstream? Or in most cases, they didn't even harm anyone's person or property, they were just merely intercepted by a police officer who then had them blow over this aforementioned arbitrary limit. And why does the guy thumbing down Nickelback, or just being a central Ohioan, get off so easy? If they cause damage or injury, they don't face anything like the penalties a drunk driver does. 
And the government makes nothing like the effort to enforce so-called distracted driving laws the way they go uh, after drunk driving. And that's obviously because of all the money involved in drunk driving. Enforcing drunk driving laws also keeps afloat a, an entire raft of government agencies and cronyish private companies that would have no reason to exist were it not for this scam of drunk driving enforcement. And these are the counselors and social workers that run these lock-in programs. you got to go stay overnight in a hotel and attend these classes and lectures all day to learn what a menace to society you are and how the government is doing you such a solid by saving you and potentially others from yourself. And then they send you a bill for it all. Well, actually, they make you pay that up front. So what should happen in an event where a person injures or damages another's person or property by misusing their vehicle? Restitution. The injured party should be made as whole as possible at the expense of the person causing the injury. And that's basically it, and that's all. The state and its vulture-like cronies don't have a right to collect a payday out of the misfortune of the citizens. Oh, but those fines are a deterrent. Without them, people would get totally hammered and drive around all day, right? I mean, are they a deterrent? Would people do that? There was back, I, when I looked up the numbers, I want to say it was 2004 in Michigan, there were just over about 300 people killed in alcohol-related car wrecks. And that, I mean, that is terrible. That's too many. But that same year, the state's various police agencies arrested some 50,000 people for drunk driving offenses. So obviously the laws aren't much of a deterrent. And given the crippling expense and legal ramifications those arrests bring, for whose benefit is it really that the police go out and find and arrest all those people? The state makes a small fortune off each one, so their motivations are pretty clear here. And I know, I know, we all grew up with sad in school and mad too, and I'm not saying it's okay to get yourself so intoxicated that you cannot reliably and safely operate a vehicle and then go driving around in a vehicle. I am simply saying that it is not okay for the government to extort the ever-loving hell out of millions of Americans each year in the name of safety theater. And that's what it is. And what I'm saying rankles most of us at a fundamental level because we've all been taught our whole lives that these kind of laws exist for our own good and they are enforced by the benevolent state, by the kindly officers who are just doing their job, just upholding the law. But it is just theater. You are to feel about as safe as a slave asleep in his shack, the plantation guards all around. Active policing in general is just a government revenue generator. That's it. Obviously, if the huge public safety menace of drunk driving is just a moneymaker, then so too are speeding laws and just about everything else cops do from the moment they roll out of the motor pool at the station house. I mean, it's good enough for ambulances to post up and wait to be summoned or for firefighters to wait at the station house for the alarm, but then those are actual services. They cost the government money. They'd be a lot more expensive yet if firemen drove those big giant engines and pumper trucks and ladder trucks around all the time looking for fires to put out. Police, though, they need to go out there and, well, police. And it just so happens that everything they police ends up costing the person who's been policed their own money for the service of having been corrected by the state. I love that. Department of Corrections. I mean, that's almost as good as Orwell's Ministry of Love. Anyone know anyone who has spent any significant amount of time in the penal system who's really been corrected? Hell, the majority of people in the system don't need to be corrected as they didn't do anything wrong to begin with. They just happen to have gotten themselves policed while in possession of a plant derivative or similar chemical that the government says they can't have. And just who the hell is the government, really, to tell grown-up human beings what chemicals, organic or otherwise, they can or cannot ingest into their own bodies? Well, I mean, they're the government, so they got this whole apparatus set up to cage you for having those chemicals, so, I mean, that answers that from a strictly pragmatic standpoint. Of course... Legality and morality rarely intersect, and they don't here. 
This is just might-making right. By virtue of the fact that the armed gang with a monopoly on violence can cage you, it will, and it does. But, as I've said many times, we each own our own bodies. We obviously have the right to put whatever drugs we want into them. We all do have that right. It's just that the government uses the monopoly on legal violence that defines it to take that right away from us. And that's the whole problem. Government is violence incarnate. Yet, for most of human history, we've spun our wheels trying to figure out how to use systematic violence to bring about a free and just society. We fiddle with and adjust the amounts of violence that get done to who and when and under what circumstances. And that's all the passage of each new law, tax, or regulation is. Just tweaking the amount of violence that gets done. And after eons of tinkering, we still haven't managed to use this formula of institutional violence to bring about a free and just society. I suspect that is because it's kind of like how, for centuries, alchemists tried to use alchemy to turn lead into gold. And they always failed because there's nothing about alchemy that can actually turn lead into gold. I think we're having the same problem with our fundamental approach to society that the alchemists had. Nothing about institutional violence can lead to a freer, just society. One cannot be a little bit enslaved any more than they can be a little bit pregnant or a little bit dead. If I can't plant my backyard full of sour diesel and then sell that crop tax-free, then how free am I exactly? Then if I can't keep all of what another agrees to pay me for what I do without some armed third party butting in and demanding a cut, am I really free? If the people ruling us has one answer to every affront, and that is guns and cages, or robbery if you're lucky, are any of us really free? Government is the entirety of the problem, and therefore can be no part of the answer. And it's not just weed and drunk driving laws, okay? That sounds awfully narrow. It's actually everything. Take the $600 EpiPen, for example. That's every Bernie Sanders supporter's favorite indictment of how capitalism is supposedly so evil. The greedy, evil corporation jacked up the price because it could. That's the story. And, I mean, judgments aside, it's not far wrong. I mean, at least that last part. The prices got jacked up because that company could. And why could it? Well, think about it. An EpiPen, right? It's just this spring-loaded needle and syringe full of a common drug available as a generic, all of that inside of a convenient plastic housing. In a modern, efficient facility, my guess, and I mean, this is just a guess, I'm not a manufacturing engineer or anything like that, but it, it, there might be, what, $5 worth of material and labor cost involved in making each unit? Hell, let's say it's 10 I doubt it's that much, but let's just say it is. It's a nice round number. Okay, so under actual laissez-faire capitalism, the very next day after the company making EpiPens rose their price to 600 bucks, at least two other companies capable of making those simple little devices would have had competing models out for $300. And by the end of the week, Bic would be owning the market, selling them for 20 bucks a piece and still making back its per-unit cost and profits. Under the corporatist oligarchy that is our government, it takes hundreds of thousands of dollars and many months to get a new medical device approved by the FDA. And if it runs afoul of the government's patent protections, well, that's just another whole hassle. So it's not the evil, greedy corporation that is to blame. It's the stupid government's fault for giving them that de facto monopoly to begin with. So if you have severe allergies and you need to keep an EpiPen handy, the government is one of your biggest problems in life. Hell, if you have any malady, no matter what it is, the government is only making it worse by making it more expensive and problematic to go get treatment for it. Before the government got itself involved in medicine back in the 60s with Medicare and Medicaid, medical care wasn't nearly as expensive as it is now. With each new incursion into the healthcare field by government, costs went up as doctors spend more and more time complying with needless regulations and filling out paperwork. 
And those doctors don't fill out stupid government forms for free. Those are still billable hours. I think it's pretty easy to see where paying doctors to not provide care, but rather fill out forms, isn't likely to do anything to bring down the cost of care. Everyone complains about the cost of prescription drugs. And the blame, again, tends to land on those pesky, evil, greedy corporations. Of course, it wasn't those corporations' idea to have to pay the government hundreds of thousands of dollars over the course of many years in order to bring a new drug to market. But then, of course, they don't mind the government protecting their patents on those drugs for how many ever years, which, again, only drives up the cost of drugs, too. Oh, I know, the FDA keeps us safe from the toxic snake oil those evil corporations would otherwise be selling us, though, right? I mean... Never mind that every drug that the FDA has ever recalled had first been deemed safe and effective by whom? Oh yeah, that very same FDA. And, you know, pay no mind to the fact that private companies tend to rely upon their reputations and repeat customers to survive, and so they don't really have any motivation at all, anyway, to sell anyone a poison disguised as medicine. I mean, that doesn't even begin to make sense. But, dear listeners... The FDA exists to protect us from that non-existent threat, right? While itself being one of the biggest threats to everyone's health and safety. I mean, it took a law, and I hate to give Donald Trump any kind of credit at all, but it took him signing a law to finally give terminally ill Americans the legal ability, because they always had that right, but they finally got the legal ability to try experimental new drugs that haven't been approved by the FDA to treat their cancer. See, the FDA was very reluctant to do this because this represents them losing gang turf, and that's no government agency likes to lose gang turf. But that's not why they are opposed to it, of course. You know, it's it's because, you know, those those unapproved drugs could be dangerous. I mean, they could be bad for your health, unlike terminal cancer, I guess. I mean, it's not like there's logic to be found here. I mean, not in the honest answer, the you know, or not in the, the fake answer they give you, the honest answer, they're just trying to protect their turf. That's... You know, there's a cynical sort of logic to that. And this is the same FDA, by the way, that spends your money on those stupid TV commercials to tell you that smoking cigarettes is bad for you. And the same FDA that under Obama was going to regulate the vaping industry out of existence at the behest of the tobacco companies whose products it spends their money telling us not to use. And again, I hate to give Trump credit, but he also put that order for the FDA to require all vaping products be subjected to its testing and regulation processes that the tobacco products have to undergo on hold. And this saved thousands of private companies from going bust, because the conglomerates that own the big tobacco companies can afford to pay to have their vaping products put through that process. But those mom-and-pop storefront businesses that are occupying the long vacant strip mall spaces in your town and their suppliers can't afford that cost. And Big Tobacco knows this, which is why they push for that regulation to be put in place anyway. Regulations in general are perhaps the most common way government makes itself the biggest problem anyone ever has. There is a rather huge barrier between the average person and their being able to start a small business. Hell, in Ohio, if I want to open up a second-hand clothing store, I need a regular business license like you would need to do any kind of business, but I also need a separate license for being a vendor of second-hand blue jeans. That's required by the state. Why the hell do I need to buy back from the government both my right to open a business and my right to sell used jeans? And I've previously mentioned how regulations have done nothing for the auto industry but continually drive up the cost of new cars for consumers. Automakers are constantly having to rework and retool to meet ever-changing, ever-tightening regulations on emissions, fuel efficiency, and crash survivability. Worse yet, as innovation and competition drives automakers to create new high-tech gizmos to add to the options list, after so many years, the government decides those options got to be standard equipment. Airbags, anti-lock brakes, traction control, stability control, all those were once upon a time 
extra options that you had to pay more money for. Now they're standard equipment because the government said they have to be to keep us all safe. You still pay more for them, it just gets factored into the base price of the car. You still gotta tick the box for stuff like lane departure warning system, adaptive cruise control, automatic collision avoidance braking, and backup cameras, for now at least. Before long, the government will be mandating those too, and there's already been talk about mandating backup cameras. And that's the funniest one to me. As regulations about crashworthiness and other nonsense keep driving the belt lines of sedans and coupes ever higher, guess what? They get harder to see out of, especially right behind you. Weird! So now the government is considering forcing us all to pay for backup cameras that some of us don't want because the government forced automakers to make cars that are harder to see out of to begin with. The only thing the government ever does about the problems the government creates is to compound them and make them worse. The government's answer to the fact that the government has so screwed up the medical industry that so many that many Americans can barely afford health care? What was their answer? More government! Let's pass the hilariously misnamed Affordable Care Act and then have the gall to act surprised when, years later, care still isn't any more affordable for most folks. Housing is expensive. Land to build housing on is expensive. Also, the single biggest landowner in the entire United States is the federal government. So... Demand being what it is in a nation of 320-some-odd million people, supply being heavily restricted by an armed gang, prices behave the way the basic laws of economics predicts they would. So if you can't afford to own a home, the government that taxes away huge portions of your income that you'd like to use to buy a home with is also actively making land and home ownership more expensive by restricting supply. Oh, and most of that land that it owns is in the form of national parks that you will never visit but you are taxed to maintain anyway. Lucky you. Food. Why should anyone in the USA ever be hungry? Why should local government prohibit me plowing my own property under, getting rid of the pointless non-native decorative grass, and growing a massive veggie garden instead? And heaven help you if you want to sell veggies you've grown commercially. You'll need licenses and permits and USA inspections and so on and so on. And despite all these layers of government protection, the Chipotle down the street here got some 700 people sicker than hell last year. The government then fined them after the government's health department didn't actually prevent the outbreak of foodborne illness to begin with. It just got itself paid while everyone was puking. Very helpful of it, don't you think? So when you look at it, every aspect of our lives as American persons is dominated and made worse by the existence of government. It makes everything we need to live, food, shelter, and medicine, more expensive in the interest of taking a cut and serving itself. It makes everything about modern existence more difficult by regulating every aspect of it, be it simply starting a business or building a vehicle for people to get around in. And what, exactly, do we get in return for all this soul-crushing opposition? Oh, I mean, we're told the government protects us from invasion, because this massive nation is really in sincere danger of being overrun by Canada or Mexico. I mean, the United States has, military has not played a home game since hosting the British at New Orleans in January of 1815, I'd be willing to chance foreign invasion and conquest in exchange for not having a government. But then, without government, an armed gang would just take over and rule us all, would they? And how bad would it be? Would they, would they perhaps put us in cages for having a plant? Would they put us in cages for making cars that were actually fun to drive, simple and affordable? Would they put us in cages for selling second-hand blue jeans with only one business license in Ohio? Would you even be able to notice a difference? No because an armed gang has already taken over and is ruling us all, and it is called the government. We've all seen The Sopranos, or are otherwise familiar with the whole concept of a protection racket, right? 
That's where some goon comes in to some new diner or in an old classic uh, Monty Python sketch, a military base. You know, that's opened up, and they tell the owner, oh, this is a nice place you've got here. It'd be a shame if someone messed it up. But for a nominal fee, the goon can guarantee no one will mess it up. But that's just because the goon was the only guy who was going to mess it up to begin with if the owner didn't agree to pay. The government does the same thing and calls it a business tax. If you don't pay, the government will mess up your business. Drug gangs establish turf as part of their business model, and they will often violently deal with anyone caught slinging drugs on their turf. The federal government's drug turf is the entire USA, and if you don't deal with their street-level slingers, Big Pharma, they'll violently deal with you. And many of us volunteers laugh about it, but it really isn't that funny, the sheer number of cognates that exist between how government operates and how an organized crime syndicate operates. I mean, the similarities are striking and so numerous, and I only, I only gave you two, but there's, it's just impossible to deny. And really, this shouldn't surprise anyone given that the single biggest similarity between a government and an armed criminal gang both operate based solely upon violence. Given that, why would anyone expect these two institutions to behave differently from the other? When we have a government organized no differently than an armed gang is, we should expect it to act like the criminal organization that it is. At least, in my mind, after I filter out the prevailing taboos and superstitions and really think it through, that's how it all looks to me. If the government isn't the single biggest problem you have, it is definitely only making whatever is your biggest problem in life worse. At the very least, it's consistently stealing at least a third of your annual income, and that money is going to go a lot farther towards solving your problems than those of the oligarchs, and it's your property to begin with anyway. Of course, thinking things through like this is the exact sort of behavior that H.L. Mencken pointed out years ago was the sort of behavior that made a person the most dangerous sort of person there can be to his government. So until next time, I encourage all of you to be dangerous.